Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you get the podcast. So we're currently in the midst of our series of talking to performers heading to Toronto Sketch Fest happening March 8th through the 19th. They recently updated their options of their fun and learning series throughout the festival. So you can check out torontosketchfest.com for all the details. Today's guest is Allison Moira Kelly, currently a member of Moms Girls based out of St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador, although Allison is currently residing in Montreal. Allison and the rest of Moms Girls will be heading to Toronto for Toronto Sketch Fest for two shows. First, on Friday, March 10th at 7 p.m. with Birdie, then Saturday, March 11th at 9 p.m. with Boy Girl Party Live. Both of those shows are at Comedy Bar, and tickets are available at torontosketchfest.com. Allison's first sketch is called G for Jeff. Allison reads the role of Honey, a customer service rep for Air Canada, and I play Sue, a passenger making the call because they're missing their luggage. So let's get to the sketch. Hello there. Thank you for calling Air Canada Lost Luggage Hotline. My name is Honey. How can I help you today? Hi, Honey. My flight landed in St. John's, Newfoundland just a few hours ago. My luggage was on the plane. I was told to call this number and someone would help me. Well, doesn't that just make your ass itch? I'm mighty sorry for your inconvenience, ma'am. You can go ahead and give me your full name, your date of birth, and your booking confirmation number. We'll get you all sorted out faster than green grass for a goose's ass. Sure. It's Sue Healy. My birthday is December 25th, 1996. Well, butter my butt and call me a biscuit. Sorry? Well, isn't that just the day that John Benet Ramsey up and died? Oh, yeah, it is. It's also Christmas. Oh, my God. If my brains were leather, I wouldn't have enough to saddle a June bug. I didn't even think of that. Okay, you go ahead with that confirmation number now, Sue. I don't want to rush you, but I'm busier than a moth and a mitten here today. Okay, sure, yeah. So it's 592-GPK-TWM. Okay, Suma, honey, I'm just going to repeat that back to you, make sure I have it. So it's 592-G as in Jeff, P as in pterodactyl, K as in need, P as in czar, W as in wrench, and... Honey? Uh, yes, honey? I gotta be honest, I didn't catch any of that. Well, that just deals my pick I'll Give it another try. Five, nine, two. G as in gnome. P as in psoriasis. K as in knuckle. <laughs> uh, T as in tsunami. Woo! W as in wrestle. And M as in new mom. I'm sorry, honey. What's that, honey? Could you try it one more time? Ain't that the berries? I haven't confused anybody this bad in a long time. One more try. Five, nine, two. G as in gummy bear. Okay, I got that. P as in pickle. Okay, great. I'm with you. K as in Pencil Shavings, Dog Poo. T as in 4,000 Clive Owens, Jeff Bridges, Michael Bolton, Shadow Puppets. W as in Moonbeam, Axle, Butt Plague, Wiener, Hang, Earwax. M as in Zipper with Cream, Flip Flop, SARS Virus, Polio Vaccine, Iodine, Headache. Now you got all that, my honey? I gotta tell you, honey, I'm... I'm as confused as a fart in a fan factory. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. My name is Samantha Russell. I'm a sketch comedian, and I have a prop and costume hoarding problem. So I figured the best way to get it under control is to start a podcast. On Should I Keep This? I chat with other comedians about their experiences in comedy and our insane prop and costume collections. 
And on each episode, we both bring a beloved item to discuss whether it's a treasure or just trash. Sometimes it turns out no matter how much money or time we spent on a prop, the only thing we should be holding on to are the memories we've made along the way. So check out Should I Keep This? We have new episodes every two weeks available anywhere you get your podcasts. Where there's lightning, there's thunder. Where there's trouble, there's Donder. Meet Donder. I'm Donder. A.K.A. Jeff. Maybe we can work together someday. That would be a dream come true. Jeff wants to be a superhero. You got a pen? Uh, uh, yeah, in my fanny pack. But he's not very super. Help! He has one chance to prove himself. My name is Candace. I'm with Nondescript. That's the biggest super agency in the city. But will that be enough? What if I'm not very good at picking teammates? Here's the plan. I punch him. Then I punch him. I'll pull off his penis and punch him in the balls with it. When we put so much into becoming someone we never become, we forget one important thing. I've been chasing one thing for so long, I, I don't even know who I am without it. We never stop becoming. Listen to Tights on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Hey, Allie. Hi. All right. So tell me about this sketch. Um, you know, I joking <laughs> called it G, G as in G off, and that was essentially the joke of the sketch. That's the joke of the sketch, yeah. So it's G as in Jeff. Um, Which is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, so I grew up as like a big reader, but in a really small town in Newfoundland. So something that would happen to me a lot is I would encounter words in books all the time, and then I would say them, and I would say them wrong for like years, and no one would tell me. I was like, well, I've never heard anyone say this. So that was kind of the... And then the idea of how frustrating it is, like the English language that we have this um, so many words with silent letters at the beginning. The English language is so full of potential of being mocked that way. Like there's like when you talked about like books, you know, learning words through books and never pronouncing them. uh, Brian Regan had the joke. It's the uh, epitome of hyperbole. Like, yeah, instead of epitome of hyperbole. there's that I Love Lucy bit of, I think it's rough, where Desi Arnaz doesn't understand how O-U-G-H is seven different pronunciations, like rough, tough, yeah. O, cough. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, our language is awful. Yes, it's very difficult. It's really And we difficult. try to force everyone to learn it. Yeah, exactly. We're like, and I think about that right now living in Montreal a lot too. Like when you meet people who are like, who have just moved here from like China and they have are living in like, so they maybe speak Cantonese, but then they live in this city where people speak French, yeah. but they also are living in Canada. So they also kind of baseline need to speak English. It's very complicated. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for people who can, and I'm kind of obsessed with like, language play i do a lot of work in shakespeare so um i think it's like the launching point for really fun play i mean you say t as in czar i hate that spelling of czar (laughs) (laughs) me too because it's supposed to be c and and really we could have done something like that too but it's also kind of like another joke of people being like that's not even how you spell czar (laughs) but like but i I do crossword puzzles and that's how you spell czar in the crossword puzzles that's never cz it's always ts It, it is always yes. You're so right, and because I do that's garbage. Yeah, I know. It's, I feel like it's tricking me. Was this performed? Like, has this ever yes, seen the stage? It has. It has. Um, we've done it a couple times. It's been through serious rewrites. Um, we flipped the characters back so that the joke might have been the opposite. Um, we find like, and and honestly, the other girls in the group are like so much better at remembering what the most recent version is of something than me. Like, this is why we're a team because I can't do things like that. <laughs> um, but it's it's we found it to be a pretty useful. First of all, because we're four of us, we often end up writing sketches for four of us. Um, Makes sense. And then having sketches for people is like really good to have those in the bag for um, costume changes for like corporate events when we're not all available. And this one is a bit more cerebral of a sketch. A lot of stuff we do is pretty high energy. 
dancing, singing, like really absurd sometimes. And this is like, the game is pretty clear early on. It's not necessarily like a laugh, like a laugh out loud sketch, but people tend to like appreciate it. So it's kind of like a strategic one in running order sometimes where like, okay, this is a little bit like a break for the audience. Do you ever remember, like, I mean, you mentioned it's gone back and forth to different iterations of of who the joke is and who, like, that, you know, the main laugh is. Do you ever remember, like, one specific event where it clearly worked the best? Yes, that's actually, like, a great. So I'll tell you the joke in it that lands the best, and if it works, then we know it's going to work, is when she says, when Honey says that December 25th is the day that JonBenet Ramsey died. And then it gets pointed out that it's also Christmas. If that gets a laugh, we're kind of like, we're like, okay, we got him. Um, because is, if people laugh at a job, what's that? Sorry, go ahead. Like, it's such a non sequitur, like, weird thing in the sketch, too. Like, yeah, it's like, it doesn't, it's just, it's like, what it is, it's me. It's like, those are the things that I think of. And so I think if you laugh at a Jean Benet Ramsey joke, then you're probably at a mom's girl sketch show for the right reasons. Like you're right. probably going to get the other things. Cause it's like being such a child of the nineties, like that stuff that comes up a lot. It's one of those jokes where it's either going to alienate a certain percentage of the people and we don't want them there anyway, or you're going to, <laughs> you're going to be right on board. Yes, exactly. Like some people feel seen when they hear a Jean Benet <laughs> joke. They're like, this is my crowd. And then something that's kind of good about our sketch troupe is that myself and Andy are in our mid-30s and Liz and Steph are in their like late mid-20s. So there's actually like a pretty big age. There's like from the oldest to the youngest, there's like maybe a 10-year age gap. And I feel like that that makes us kind of relevant to a larger group of people. Yeah, you're going to get the jokes for the older millennials and then for the younger millennials, like the possibly going on to the Gen Z kids, like. Absolutely. Yes. Because, I mean, I fully remember Dominique Ramsey and that whole weirdness of that story, like, because I think I was like 10 years old when it happened, like, it's bonkers. It's a wild thing. It was just like for us. And I mean, like I was living in Gander, Newfoundland, and every Every like magazine cover, all the like tabloid magazines was like Jean Benet, Jean Benet. She like, and it kind of fits in that same era as like, because for some reason we loved American news, you know, like that we like really <laughs> cared about OJ. We really cared about Monica Lewinsky. Oh, I mean, we super cared about those too. So like, yeah, it made it to the island. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that Canadians love American stuff. So, but like for you personally, what were you into growing up? What made you laugh? Like, what was like your first impressions of comedy that you remember? There's a couple things. So my brothers are so funny. They're both like, like I have two brothers. I don't have any sisters and they're both so funny and they're still so funny. They just like make me laugh so much. Like kind of like that kid laugh at a table where like milk comes out your nose. Cause you can't believe how like smart your and quick your brothers are. And they just like get you. I was, and still am like a huge Seinfeld fan. And I think that like seeing Elaine on Seinfeld was like, I was like, that's what I want to do. I just, because you know she was like always she hung out with three boys like and and she was like really physically funny really quick she wasn't like like she wasn't really emotional you know I mean and not that that's bad it's great and we all but I love that sketch of that type of person Julie Lou Dreyfus in Seinfeld now that you mention it that way she's very much not like the stereotypical comedy female no she's not the butt in a of lot joke. of ways yeah like exactly. I, she's never really prone to like hysterics like the women on friends were no like they i haven't thought her, about that yeah they wrote her in such an equitable way um like, to fit in and to be as biting as they were to each other and sometimes more biting and i thought but like it would never fall into these stereotypes of like bitchy woman which like whatever I love a bitchy woman too but she wasn't that she also like 
it, her, all of her jokes weren't surrounding her love life. And when they were, it was like more to do with like sex than to yeah. do with heartbreak. And and more to do with like her friends bugging her as they went through these phases of life that she wasn't really going through. Um, and just as much as Jerry, one of her things was like dating, 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 dating. And I think that they went a really respectful way. Like she was like a, like a, like a, such a kind of pillar to me of, of like feminism. Hmm. And I mean, let's be clear and honest, like Julie Dreyfus is a boss Yes. In she's every amazing. sense of the word. Like, Absolutely. she's fantastic. She is. And she's, like, really small. Like, she's quite petite. And, like, I'm not even 5'1". I really just, like, identified with her space that she took up. Um, Like you say, like, she is a boss. Like, 100%. She's, she's a comedic genius. Like, she really is. And she's also a fantastic actor. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that, like, she's working her way into like the marvel universe it's <laughs> so delightful to me like yeah. whenever there's a performer that i'm like oh yeah let's get you a i mean even though you've worked like steadily for the last 30 years let's get you a new job for the next 10 yes for playing sure. this I'm character like, like let's do it i'm okay yes and like make that like marvel money let it rain yeah. julia julia Dreyfus can do very little wrong in my book like like I i'm sure totally i agree i remember seeing that north movie that everyone hated as a kid and i don't think she's a problem but i haven't i don't know what you're talking okay, about. okay so there's this movie called north where uh -huh. elijah wood is like you know 10 12 years old but he wants to divorce his parents and get adopted by a new family <laughs> and i just remember that his mom in the movie is julie would is playing you know an awful person but oh, like it's my. it's a famous movie because Roger Ebert like in his review said I hate it hate it hate it hate it this movie, and that became almost like a catchphrase for him. Like <laughs> that's so good. You know what? If you're gonna make a bad movie, you want to make one that someone is that extreme about. Like go for it, yeah. yeah. Um, but like if you look at the cast of it, you can't understand why it's so bad. Like the pedigree uh, yeah. of it is is fantastic. Yeah, we've got Bruce Willis, Jason Alexander, Dan Aykroyd, like what it's directed by um rob reiner like it's yeah. it it shouldn't have failed as spectacularly as it does oh i can't wait but then again it. i haven't seen it in 25 years so maybe it actually isn't that awful yeah maybe it's like really good and it's a hidden gem and we need the resurgence now what? i gotta look it up and see where it's streaming or if i can have to run or something i'm gonna find it <laughs> um i gotta go i got a movie to watch were you a performer growing up like were you a theater kid yeah but like again in a pretty like small town so like not like a theater kid in terms of like glee where anybody had any money actually i was just saying to my partner last night like the the those of us when i was a kid that were theater kids were because like and i did a lot of other activities but most of us found our way there because we couldn't like afford to do anything else and that cost like being in the free afternoon drama club was like <laughs> like free yeah. babysitting. <laughs> um, I never thought about that. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's like this element of like there's no hockey gear, there's no like like there's no and I mean well, I yeah I Canadian sports are expensive. They're so like... expensive. I I'm a, I grew up as a swimmer, like I was on the swim team my whole life, and like holy moly, did I not realize how much money my parents spent on that? Like it's ridiculous. So yeah, and I think just like um in grade one, I was like really outgoing and um I could read pretty good like I always loved reading and so I just got cast as a lead in that play yeah. um it like so that was just my music teacher's kind of like instinct and um like I guess probably just because I had pretty high reading ability like for a six-year-old and so it was just kind of right place right time and and then it wasn't like I always knew I wanted to be an actor um like I actually didn't really know what I wanted to be until I met someone when I was in grade 10 who had uh, done a bachelor of fine arts in acting. And I was like, you can do that. Like, again, I didn't like know anybody who had done these things before. And so I told her to like, tell me about theater school. And there is one in Newfoundland. Um, and I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty fun. You mean I could just do this at university. And um, 
And she was like, yeah, some nights you spend four hours coiling up cable. And I was like, that's, that sounds dope. <laughs> and I was like, where do I sign in blood? <laughs> so yeah, I, I was like relatively involved in, I was, I was, yeah. So, but you did go that the full like scholarly performance track. Yeah, yeah, I have a bachelor of fine arts in acting and I have a master's of fine arts in acting as well. And now Ooh. I'm I'm going to the National Theater School of Canada to study directing. Nice. Yeah, I can't get out of school. <laughs> Before we go too deeply into it, and we talked about like Julia Louis Dreyfus, so I should have segued there instead of here. I ask everybody, Saturday Night Live for sketch comedy is such a big thing. Who mm-hmm. would be your favorite SNL cast member? Uh, uh, Amy Poehler, probably. Yeah, yeah. because I want to marry Will Arnett. Like you I know, wish I you know they him. broke up, right? Like yeah, I know, but that's okay. I just need him in my past. Like I don't know if I currently want to be married to him, but I like with like I wish that he was someone that I had dated. <laughs> um, no, and I just think she's so funny and so smart and such a like hero. And I don't know. I just like I I love a lot of the women who have been on SNL. I'm also like a huge Jimmy Fallon fan. I know that he's annoying, but I like him. Like I would love to do a sketch with him and I would love for him to break. And I love, I love his like musical components as well. Like, and his audition for SNL is so amazing. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he does an impression of Adam Sandler and you can hear Adam like laughing. (laughs) Like, I just think that that's so amazing to be like, I'm. you haven't met me, but I'm going to do an impression of your friend. I wonder, like, if there's a generation of sketch comedians and stuff that are like, have started figuring out the, to do their own impression of Amy Poehler. Oh like, my God. What are, what are the, the tics that you would latch onto for that? I think it's got to be in the voice. But I still feel like that would be a, a degree of separation away from her natural identity because she kind of puts on a voice. Yeah. But I think that that would be like her most recognizable. And you'd almost need a Tina Fey with you. And then I got an email this morning that they're doing like a, a mini tour together. What? Like here in this, like, I think they're doing, the email said like four shows. Oh my God. Um, look that up. Which I feel like. They have to do more. Yeah, yeah. I think that maybe maybe they're engaging <laughs> interest. Yeah, Just like one. yeah. But Sorry, Amy Poehler's just... so great. So and and you mentioned like of you know the women in the cast of the past couple years, and I mean we talked about Julia Dreyfus where she was a woman on the cast in a not very female friendly era. Yes. Of the show, like. Yeah. But I think since the mid to late nineties, SNL has kind of course correct it yeah to the point where in the last like 15 years the women have been bigger stars than the men yeah and they've and you can tell that had to be from just like working their butts off for sure like um yeah and making careers outside of just that like as writers and directors and actors outside of just snl i think it must have just been like to pave that path for people and it's it's like very important impressive i'd be curious like what it felt like in the room like did they feel like they had allies or were they feeling like they were battling against something so you go for the bfa and the mfa in acting so tell me about deciding to like once you learn oh this is the thing i can do to all right i'm gonna do it so i finished my undergrad and i worked for professional theater companies in the summers throughout my undergrad which was like really great so i kind of had some footing when i finished my first degree and then i worked for three years as an actor like a lot of voiceover work and a lot of theater and some tv and some like short films uh and then like kind of probably like most people who try to work in this industry like every second month is a total, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Is it even worth it? What am I doing? And I was like, maybe what I'll do is like a plot. I wanted more training. Like I really, like I knew that I was like doing enough to get hired, but I still felt like there was something to the craft that I was really curious about. Hmm. So I looked for an MFA program and I got into a program in Toronto at York university. And I was the youngest person in my class. Like, 
um, like I was, I started, I was 25 and th there was people in my class who were like 53 and they would joke that their like, their like union card was older than me. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought there would have been people that old, like getting involved. I feel like the part of the reason a lot of those of my classmates then were there was because they kind of wanted the piece of paper to be able to teach at a university. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And, but that wasn't really like what I was there for. Like I really wanted more training. Now I'm really glad I have it because I also teach at a university and I wouldn't be able to without having done that. But that wasn't like why. And then like Newfoundland is a very small, but like mighty province in terms of it's like art funding and the amount of people per capita making work. Mm. And also the really great thing about Newfoundland is you can't, you don't like get stuck as one thing like people you can you can be an actor and then direct a play or write like write a play or teach or and no one really thinks that it's like well what aren't you an actor like I feel like people just kind of trusted me when I said I wanted to have like varying jobs in the same field I was just getting cast a lot and work begets work like you know you you work and then you meet more people and then you work some more and, um, but something that like brought me to comedy was that, uh, I was always getting cast as these really sad parts. Cause those are the parts that are written for young women. It's like, she weeps. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Like, what was the, I hate to call it to say it this way, but like, how do you leap from the quote unquote legitimate theater to mm -hmm. theater. Our, our silliness of sketch comedy? <laughs> Um, well, I have to say that I think that like sketch is like the one of the highest forms of theater when it's done really well. Like I really believe that like if we could bring as I started doing sketch, I became a way better actor in everything that I did because I was way I was more able to follow my impulses. I was um, way better at connecting with a larger spectrum of characters because, you know, with sketch, it's like it, no one cares, like put on the beard and go out there and you're Jesus or whatever. Yeah. Like, and, and then you realize that, oh, I could actually, if I do this believably, which, you know, with sketch, it's like the really good sketches when people are really believing what they're doing. And, and I feel like it, it like fed into my kind of like also continuing acting career. And yeah, I think I got like, uh, I had friends who wanted to do sketch. I, I really wanted to write like, and I don't really know how to write a play <laughs> like I, right. but I feel like I can like write some five page two to seven page I, I've made that joke before that like I've always wanted to be a writer but screenwriting is 120 pages a sketch is five minutes I can handle that like exactly beginning wham bam thank you ma'am yeah and that's how I feel too like I can kind of have a gag that I can run with for a little bit and I think that sketch just offered so much agency over my own career like it kind of took it away from people who were casting me and it was like okay I yeah. want to play a part like this so I'm going to write a sketch where I get to and be in a group that facilitates that and have a lot of say in when we do our shows where we do our shows the creative team involved in them uh because we were all we're producing our own stuff so I feel like and I still act a lot and I direct and I teach acting but um like the the kind of like most joyous part of my life is making is making sketch comedy with my friends <laughs> and, and and i don't want to like minimize what we do as sketch comedians like throughout the world but like it is infinitely easier to trick our friends into seeing something funny like hey do you want to see our sketch show for an hour or do you want to see me cry on stage for two and a half like oh you have no <laughs> idea so two summers ago i played hamlet for a Shakespeare company and like you know people are like yeah you were pretty good as Hamlet but I kind of like when you play Shakespeare in that sketch about trying to write Romeo and Juliet um and it's true it's like and that's a big part of like my emerging value system is is like why don't we just give the people what they want? And life is so <laughs> hard right now. Like, and, and, and like, things are so sad. I'm just not really that interested in, in like, it's like theater can be to make you think. And I think you can do that through sketch as much as you can do that through something that leaves people with a bad feeling in their stomach. Like, 
I just like want to put more joy in, yeah. in the world. It's it like, and if that is like, maybe doesn't seem smart to people, like I just don't buy it. I think like it, I, it is. It's a recurring thing on the show where I don't understand why people don't like comedy more. Like, I don't understand why like the crime dramas and the procedurals are the top rated shows on TV instead of something that makes you laugh and happy at the end of the night. Like, I don't get it. I'll never understand it. Yeah, I I know. I know what you mean. Um, Because there's also just like the feeling of delight, like be like, even like on a, like different than laughing is like, I'm just delighted. And I think that's why Ted Lasso was maybe so successful, which I can't talk about Ted Lasso because I've only seen like three episodes, but like it is a comedy and, and it did, it is like, it's stuck itself in the hearts of many. And I think that there, but um, I don't know if you listen to Smartless, the podcast with like Jason Bateman and Will Arnett, my boyfriend. Um, Sean. Oh, but I haven't listened to everything now. They talked in an episode not too long ago about how, like, people don't really, like, make comedies anymore, like, as much as they used to. Like, we grew up on sitcoms, and I just feel like it's harder to find now. All, like, all, I mean, I don't know what the percentages of, you know, the Canadian, the CBC, and Bell, and all those channels, like, Crave, but, like, our networks down here are majority drama, majority procedurals medical drama like all that stuff like we might get two hours a week on each individual network of something that causes itself a comedy like and it, i don't understand it like that's so interesting i think the cbc is <clears throat> probably a little more a higher ratio of comedies actually i think the cbc produces a lot of like um like thoughtful com- comedies like um Actually, one of their comedies is called Pretty Hard Cases, and it actually is a cop show, but it's a comedy. <laughs> like, um, And that's what, yeah. like, you know, with Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine-Nine down here, comedy cop show. But in the last season, it, yes. it had to pivot to be like, oh, we need to address the awfulness that's been happening. Let's, And I didn't watch the last like season yet, but, like, I understand that that has to be a reckoning, you know, in that world for them. Absolutely. And that might be it too, is that comedy is a little scary because it's like, who has the right to make what jokes is like a big thing right now. And, and I think it's really important and it's like, it's a big responsibility to, to make people laugh because um, inherently it seems like you're to make people laugh. You're making light of, as opposed to maybe just shining a light on something. Yeah. The best comedy always celebrates weirdness, not necessarily mocks it. Absolutely. I totally think that's true. Like, and I think that, um, well, this is so interesting, right? And it's like, if you, because I guess it was maybe last year that the most recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm came out. And I mean, basically, it's just like Larry David being like a horrible idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's him. And so he can like take it on, you know? And it's like, but I'm sure, I'm sure that like there's jokes he has to fight for. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that gets cut because it's like, dude, that's too far. Like we didn't, not want to hurt people with this stuff yeah, either. We, we need to pull back. Like you, you can be the a-hole, but let's not be that much of an a-hole. Like, let's still be the lovable a-hole. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your introduction. Like how do you find your way to performing in sketch comedy after so much time in the, the theater? In the theater. What happened first was that my friend Andrew wanted to make, sketch so first of all newfoundland has like a really long history of sketch comedy it's like like kind of bizarre actually it's like one of the like core cultural things about newfoundland with like sketch comedy troops like codco was huge they had like a massive tv show um and when you look back at that stuff it's like it's very dark some of it and mm. it's really criticizing the catholic church and it's criticizing like politics and um uh, like forms of abuse and stuff, but they're so funny. And so we kind of grew up watching that stuff, watching like Royal Canadian Air Force and, and 22 Minutes, like this hour's 22 Minutes. These are like East Canada um, sketch shows. Um, and then there was this show that toured Newfoundland every year called Review. And it was like from this theater company called Rising Tide. And my parents would take me and I didn't understand any of the jokes because it was all political. And my parents, it was like, 
would just make you sit there, but they would get so many laughs. And what happened is that troupe who did review were so recognizable that they couldn't even come on stage. They would come on stage and the audience would just go up in their costume and like not have to speak. And I remember being like, oh my God, that's such a dream. So then when my friend Andrew first wanted to make a sketch show, we he brought me on as a writer because I wasn't going to be there to be in it, mm. um, which to everyone kind of seemed a bit weird because like I am primarily an actor. That's what I was doing. But I wasn't available to be in it. I was I had a um, teaching at a university in a different city. So I came to write some stuff and just like felt like really I guess like I felt like oh this is the thing that I like doing the most it felt like right it felt to like touch on all the things that I was interested in doing and like the various skills that I have um I've done like a lot of character mask like half mask where the face looks like complete like in my training and as a theater maker like these like really like like that make you look like a completely different person. And it was through that I realized that I have so many characters in me. And I think that that lends itself to sketch. Like, but it's, you just don't have the mask on, but maybe you have a cigar. Yeah. And yeah, so our, our masks I are cheaper and easier trip, to find. <laughs> ours come from Dollarama. Yeah. And, <laughs> or they're like a mustache on my finger, which is like, <laughs> like, that's what we do. Yes, v- much cheaper. And, <laughs> but I feel, or you don't even have one, but you have that sense of this is the mask. Yeah. And um, it just started to feel like actually the skills that I had, I always feel very trapped in in theater. Like I, I have like pretty bad stage fright. I feel like, oh, nothing's moving fast enough for me. Like when I'm acting in like a straight play, let's say. So it really makes sense. Like I just feel like it moves at the same frequency as me. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, like even how like empowering it becomes to generate your own material to be to become your own producer, like in a sense. Like, yes, I totally see it because I, I just can't picture in in my head. This is how my thought process about theater goes. I can't, and I understand how like to mentally get your way through it with like thinking of the audience that this is the first time they've ever seen you. But I can't picture doing the same role eight days, eight times a week for months. That feel that that feels very trapping. That feels very claustrophobic to me. It is claustrophobic. For me, some people I think it's a whole other level of skill. In, Absolutely. In this industry that I think is like amazing. I've done shows, like I have a show that I was in like almost 500 times that I performed on stage, like, and I honestly started to go a little crazy. I started to like laugh during it because I was like, this is wacky. Like, why am I out here pretending this is true? Like I started to lose my mind a little bit. And so the um, mental resilience that people who like, because in some ways the dream as it's stated is like, you get cast as like Jean Valjean in Les Mis and you do it for 15 years because you got the part. And to me, I've never, I always wanted to be in the theater because I seek novelty in my life. Yeah. And what, like, I mean, anything is more novel than that. Showing up to work the same times, the the blocking, your what you wear, what you say, how you say it, where you step, it's all decided. And like, I just can't anymore like I that's not my dream that's not my dream anymore I had to kind of do it to learn that it's not my dream um and and it's true it's like it's the task becomes something different it's very fulfilling like I will give it that like to have an ensemble and do the same text with them and the text becomes more and more and more rich if it's good but if it's bad it, just gets, it's crazy. It, it burrows in a different way like <laughs> exactly but you know I did Hamlet for like two months two and a half months and that was never boring that was always fantastic because I, you're never going to get that right you know and I would totally do that again and I would I, I like really wanted to play that part again and um that didn't bore me because the challenge is just too massive yeah, I feel like, especially when you go back to like those older plays, you know, those Shakespearean things, like, I don't, I will never call myself an actor. I've got zero training. I'm, you know, sketch comedy, like, do, 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 do. like, but like, <laughs> I would absolutely like, there's a part of me that would love to do like a month stint in like King Lear. 
Yes. Like, let me be one of the minor characters. I'll I'll be France. I'll be, you know, like I'll be like the one the thing now that I'm getting older, I think Gloucester would be a lot of fun in Lear, but I think it's the best part. Um I think it's I I well to me it's Edmund, Edgar, Gloucester, right. or or the fool. Right. As as I was younger, I thought it would be Edmund would be the most fun. Yeah. But now I'm in my late thirties. I'm switching towards <laughs> Gloucester. Not- you're in your Gloucester uh, era. I, I, you have no even though Gloucester's I'm still like, probably like a sixty-year-old man in the show, like theoretically, you're not there yet. Yeah, you're, uh, you actually are still in your Edmund <laughs> right. era, uh, like you are. But I totally understand that. As like, I think about that with Chekhov a lot too. Like, I want, like, I'm like, oh, I want to be this part. And now, when I was like 21, and now I've just like aged out of even being interested in that. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> so boring. Um, so, yeah, and I think it's true. Like the Shakespeare's and the classical text, you can't like. The thing is, you're not going to make make it so that the play's never performed again. Like, you will. It's going to be performed again. So no matter what happens with your run of this Play show, with it, have fun with it. Exactly, exactly. It's just you're just adding your voice to the 400 years that it's been performed. And as long as we're on the planet, it will continue to be performed. So there's such a level of pressure that's actually taken off, I think. Um, And again, this all comes from doing sketch. I like feel so much more chill about theater because I do sketch. And I think you need to bring that same levity to have the, um, the fun that it, the liveness, like that sense of like, what's going to happen next, which happens with sketch because we probably don't rehearse enough. (laughs) Um, And I think that what you just said about not being an actor is definitely not true because I think that sketch comedy actors are like, they're so present. Um, They are able to just like put on a bunch of different, um, like, like the spectrum of the characters they play is just so much wider and you're listening. You're like, I mean, I, I think that it's like, like a craft. So how do we fast forward? How does mom, mom's girls come into existence? So I didn't actually, so um, Stephanie Curran and Elizabeth Hicks, they had been also working with the um, sketch comedy troupe that like, that we all worked for. Um, but I had never met them. We'd never like been on the same shows. We, I, I didn't even know them. And Interesting. They, okay. Yeah, and in a pretty small town too. But they knew all my friends and like um, we all knew each other. Isn't it always just, weird when like, there are those like two planets that have tons of like, you know, yes. friends that are mutuals and you might've like heard each other's names, absolutely yes, but you've exactly. never actually met before. It's so, it's so wild sometimes. It is. It's amazing. I think that at that point, if we had like looked up how many mutual friends we had on Facebook or something, it was probably in the two hundreds. Like it was like, how has this not happened yet? So they sent me a message one day being like, we kind of want to do like an all girl sketch show, just a show at Christmas. Do you want to do it with us? And I was like, am I too late? Yes, of course I want to do it. And so I, and they were like, we literally just sent you that message, Jill. <laughs> like, I, was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I hope I don't miss my chance. So I met them like downtown for a beer and we talked about what we would do and we talked about bringing on a fourth person because we were like it would be good to have like four we thought was a good number and then so Andy Bullman she is a stand-up and a journalist and a million other things but in the city as well and so she had mentioned like I'd only spoke to her ever once at an event and she said to me she was like I would love to like, t- like take acting classes from you or something. And in this kind of like passing conversation we had. And then, so we decided we would reach to, out to Andy because she's like a really good writer, like a really good joke writer. And mm. she, but she's not an actor, but she is a standup. And we really wanted to touch on a couple of different kind of like skill sets. Yeah. And so then we did a Christmas show and it, we did seven sketches, which is so cute now that we think about it because since then, like, we just did a show where we did 20, you know? And our first show, we were like, oh, my God, we're serious. And we were doing seven sketches. We're Okay, let's talk about that. We're going to, we're pausing here. Okay. okay. How, how long of a show is it with, with the 20 sketches? Uh, the last one we did, I think, was like an hour and 20, maybe an hour 15. Okay. okay. Yeah. And okay. so they're kind of in and out. Like, that's, what I, that's what I was worried, like... You have to be putting some uh, blackouts in there to <laughs> totally. to break yes. up the okay. 
<laughs> the timing sure. and everything. And like we would include like our intro and outro as two sketches too, sure. like whatever form that is. But we've done a show that was like an hour and 40 minutes. It was too long. <laughs> it was too long for us. Like we did a um like an hour and 40 minute show that we ran twice back to back. So we just got the audience out, reset our props and did it again. And I was like, I'm blacked out. Like, I can't believe we're about to do this again. Yeah. Sometimes you have to um, learn that. But yeah. <laughs> It's true. And the we hard literally way. need to be, yes, we need to be, we have to be really hard on ourselves because the four of us are quite ambitious. Anyway, so one of us will have to say, remember how we felt last time. Like we can't do this again. We need to plan a 50 minute show and then it will be an hour and 10. Yeah. Like that's what we have to do. So yeah, that first show we did was like so fun. And, um, and like so many people came to see it. And we were like, wow, this is so wild. Like, there's like an interest in this. And then then I directed a sketch show with just Andy or with just Elizabeth and Stephanie in it. We all four of us wrote, but just Liz and Steph did, performed and I directed it. And that was super fun too. And then since then, we've just been doing like, oh my God, so, like one year, like maybe last year or the year before we did, I think we did five new original shows in one year like we just are like pumping 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 out material and that's insane to me because like from what i understand from you know talking a bit about it is that you know those atlantic you know that east side of canada didn't lock down as much as other places because i mean on one hand you are relatively secluded yes we are an island like all you know out there as far it always feels as far north and as far east as you can get like which i mean it it's is not as far as north, legally but true. it is as far Yes, it is um, for sure as far Where, but like the idea that you were able to do that many shows where comedy was dead pretty much everywhere else in the world, like is is a little bonkers to me. A little jealous yeah. too. Yeah, I know. I wish everybody could have just came and hung out with us. <laughs> and we did have periods of lockdown and we did have to postpone a few shows, but Things would open up quicker and and um capacity was way down. Yeah. Like we did a show that we had like a big, I mean big for us budget for like a lot of funding that was in like a theater, not a bar, not like a comedy space. It was in like a theater. And it was it's like a 200 and maybe 10 seat theater and capacity was 40. Oh. So we sold out. Like yeah, Easily. so it was tough. That was yeah, we sold out like a couple weeks in advance, you know, and it was like, when we were so glad to be able to say like, we sold out, but it still felt kind of like crickets out there. Yeah. It, it wasn't that bad. But the memory is like, oh, it would have been so nice if we could have filled this place up. So we were still able to do it because it's true that the, we didn't experience COVID the same way that other places did. In Newfoundland, kind of like the borders just shut down. And, yeah. um, and then, so because it was really hard to get in, most things were open. I mean, there was a couple periods of like seven weeks where you think you're going to go insane because you can't see your friends, but things came back relatively quickly. You may be the best person to ask this question of that. I've never really thought about it this way. So going from a, you know, legitimate theater performance to sketch comedy, which is usually more often than not in like bars and things and, and venues that aren't necessarily designed for live performance in that way. How does it feel as a performer in your case that have experienced, you know, both ends of that spectrum? How does it yeah. feel for you to be in one venue versus the other or one type versus the other? Yeah, I think that's like a great question because I, I think that it's like what's appropriate. And so for something like like sketch, I, I think that like where is it going to be the most alive? And um where are we going to have the audience kind of like in the right mood for what we're doing? And we have done sketch comedy uh, in an outdoor Shakespeare theater that's fashioned after the globe. We've done a couple of shows there mm -hmm. and that is like amazing. And it makes you realize that, that that's all Shakespeare was doing in the comedies was like sketch, joke, 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 joke. Like it's like, and when the audience is that close and they're outside with you, it feels so intimate. I think that there's like a level of preciousness that it takes away. Like, you're like, you know, we're stepping up on this riser, like in the corner of this space. There's nowhere to, there's no wings. There's nowhere to go to change. And then it's like, okay, well, 
how do we make every moment of this theatrical in the space that it's in? So like if we're doing a costume transition and there's nowhere to go, well, then it has to be part of the show. There's no other option. So yeah. let's put on the right song. Let's get the right kind of vibe going here. And let's watch you put that costume on. And that's part of the sketch. That's part of the experience. And I think that that's like what is like I've, I've I've done sketch in theaters and it's fine, but it's not as fun. Like I want people to feel like they can yell. I want them to feel like they can dance, like stand up in their seat and you can make anything work. Like if you have a couple lighting trees and a soundboard, like you can be anywhere and you can make something great. And I believe that about sketch and theater. Like I think yeah. theater can be anywhere. I mean, uh, there, there's probably certain plays I don't want to see in a bar, but. <laughs> I I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'll have to think about but, that because I'm not I'm I'm more into musicals than I am in plays. So oh, yeah, I have to yeah. like Yes. Um, I saw a musical. I saw a musical. Oh my god. It was about a guy with it was like a comedy rock opera. I saw it here in Montreal a couple weeks ago and it was in like a really small car comedy bar and it 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 was great. And like they suited the space. Like they they decided to like just work within that space but the sound was bad and that's, that is like that's where you get into the issues where you have to like adapt to the space like um mostly just because i'm not used to it whenever i see like sketch comedians actually like wearing mics on stage it's always like oh we're we're at this level now okay like <laughs> i know we wore mics for a show and because we were singing a lot and we were doing the show like eight times or something um maybe a few more times than that and we wore mics and it was weird and when i look at the pictures i kind of like it's it's i think we needed to and it's fine and we kind of just pretended we were beyonce <laughs> like, right like, and and here in, in the city like my only real uh experience with sketch performers using mics were actually like at our animal christmas show that the one sketch team put on they actually used handheld mics the entire time like so they had to like adapt like adapt and adjust like there's one sketch where they're like rowing a boat so that like they're rowing the boat with the mic and still trying like it, it's it's bizarre you know it's that level of like suspension of disbelief kind of thing it yeah yeah adapt exactly. to your spaces is all yeah absolutely and then like can you make it tasteful like if, if it's a thing don't pretend it's not a thing incorporate it like if yeah. the audience is going to notice it we want it to be like noticed for the right reasons so like using your mic as a as like an or it's like great that's so clever how would you describe a mom's girl show in general like chaotic mm. <laughs> they're like i think one of the things that we aim to do is have people like celebrate their self and so we like like we I, our goal is to hear as many like woos and like <laughs> shouts as laughs and i so and and it's pretty chaotic because we we go pretty hard like we have a lot of wigs a lot of mustaches a lot of props a lot of costumes and we like so it's like a mess back there when we're done I, I love I love the sketch absurd. groups that do full props and costumes. So I'm on board with that for sure. We sometimes will get like a costume designer to build stuff for us and stuff too. Like we're pretty intense when it comes to that, depending on like what the budget is and what we think. Like at Toronto Sketch Fest, we'll probably do less because we're all kind of coming in. Um, like we'll and you also don't want to travel with all of it. Like, I mean, that's fine. So I think that like a big word would be, it's like there are a lot of our sketches are absurd and like, and kind of niche we have a sketch that's like a group of women who are sell who are like doing this kind of seance um like midsummer thing to Ari Aster like that's in the kind of like midsummer movie mm -hmm. and then what happens is one of the um Stephanie shows up with like a donkey head on thinking she's auditioning for Midsummer Night's Dream <laughs> And like, I mean, that is so niche. Like, it's like if you and every line she says is from Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. Um, and so it's like, it's this is we've gone too far. <laughs> we've gone too far this time. Um, but and sometimes there are people in the audience who are like, their mouth is like this. They're like, yeah. And then there's some people who who are like celebrating it because that happens to be the cross section of two things they love. Like, 
Ari Aster films and Midsummer Night's Dream and they're like this is for me and if there's like one person there who's like wow this is the perfect sketch for me we're pretty happy okay so you're currently in Montreal what is it like to for you for you all now that the four people in Mom's Girls are split between three different cities how has it been still coordinating and getting ready for the show coming up so we um we did two shows at Christmas and Liz was in Toronto and I was here and we basically like uh, rehearsed on Zoom, uh, wrote like kind of did a pitch session on Zoom, wrote the sketches, put them in the drive, did edits, read them, kind of did like what you do as it, to rehearse in person except online. And then we spent, we had like, I think like the of December we did like all day the 19th 20th 21st 22nd 23rd 26th 27th and then the show was the 28th so we did like we just went hard for like a week so, of rehearsal. so for Christmas break it was just like just yeah. deep into it for a while yes and and actually I think it was like it it sometimes we push ourselves too hard and it's like, wow, we didn't even get a Christmas break, but it's also like, what would I rather be doing? Like, that's what I remind myself. Like, I'm just like, I want to be hanging out with them and I want to be making stuff. You were going to be hanging out with these people at least two of those nights anyway. So you might as well. Yeah. And it's so much more fun. Like, I'm sure you know this. It's like, I have great friendships with people I don't make stuff with, but the friendships with people that you do make stuff with is like so special. And like, so I think, that's one way we've kind of combated it. And again, like for the sketch fest, myself and Andy and Stephanie are going to go to Toronto for Tuesday and we're doing sketches we've done. Like we're, we're not really writing anything new. We are modifying and recasting stuff, but there's no brand new sketch. I don't think. No, we're just which, updating. Which I would recommend to everybody. Don't go to a new city yes. with brand new stuff. Like. Absolutely. Play the hits. Do the stuff you yeah, exactly. Exactly. Play your hits. Totally. And so we just did like a four hour meeting on Sunday and like read everything we want to do, cut some stuff, rewrote some jokes that won't land. And now we will have like another meeting in like two weeks and then we'll have three nights in Toronto in our Airbnb to like get ready. <laughs> uh, tell me about Tales from the Floor Drobe. Oh my God. Our stupid TV show. <laughs> Um, that was really fun. That's a kid's show. Like, it's not really a sketch show. We kind of play children. And it's about, like, a character, Allie, whose bedroom is really messy. And um, every episode, one of the friends has, like, a problem. And then the other one has a book it reminds them of. And we get dressed up from the clothes on my floor and tell that story. So it's like tales from the floor drobe, like my wardrobe on my floor. Yeah, I mean, for one, I didn't know that floor drobe was a word. And I love it because I don't think it is. I think I, I think I made. Oh, well, I, I don't know if I made it up, but I. But I, 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 I still love it. it. I understand it. It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> I know. I think it's a really fun <laughs> word, and I think it's really animated. It's what I've always called my bedroom, like my floor drobe, because I don't put anything away. And so we got a bit of funding, like not very much, but some money from bell to make six 10 minute episodes we so we wrote acted produced it hired a director who was also a directing mentor for two people in st john's who work a lot but had never directed for tv so we wanted them to direct an episode each to like we wanted it to be like how can we help people with this yeah. like so a bunch of people that we love or know of can like learn something new in this relatively safe environment to fuck it up like who cares you know um and it was learning like whoa producing theater is so different than producing for television mm. oh my god and we learned some things like the hard way but it was just really fun like again it was really fun to write together write something different it was really fun to like have people like like a wardrobe person give it because we make theater so we do everything ourselves but this was like this had a production people who were like, you know, touching up our face and like putting us in the right spot. And we just got to like sit in chairs and drink coffee. We we're like, we're fancy. We would love to keep doing that. Telling you why this certain color isn't the right thing for this like screen and everything. Like all that stuff is like, yes. yeah. 
I can, and also like I can take this experience and learn from it just as much as you're trying to help other people do that too. Like, absolutely. I feel like I learned so so much about making TV, um, and making films. Like uh, Andy and and Liz, Andy and Liz have both made movies, and I've acted in film a lot, but I had never like been someone who had to answer questions and seeing who what responsibilities fall to all that was really important and it was like a whirlwind like we shot 60 minutes of tv in four days which is like wacky a lot it was a lot it was a lot but it was like a such it was one of those things that it was so much work and like the the week before we were going to do it we were like we're never doing this again it's been way too much work (laughs) But then we did it and we were like, when are we doing the next thing? As we wrap up here, uh, that's the same, you know, same two basic questions. Try to get a little deeper. You've touched on both of them for the most part already. But first off, is is there a piece of advice that you would give to a new sketch writer? Something that you've learned as your time as a sketch writer performer? Yeah, I think finish the sketch. Like, fi- just finish writing it. Like, yeah. it, it, just give it an end like end it it like because a lot of times when we're working like we sometimes will hire writers to work with us and they they will come in with like um a draft like a fragment and until there's an end we don't know what the right end should be so pick something like pick an out like don't like if you have a good idea see it through and i think that that's like really important um not to bail on your idea because you're kind of sick of it uh, because then when you hand it to someone else, they're going to make it better. Yeah. So don't wait for like divine inspiration. You know, it's like, um, I, I teach sketch comedy class at a university and I every week, what I ask them to do is send me something funny that happened. It's just one day, like just one funny thing that happened this week. And what'll happen is at the beginning of the semester is they start looking for actually funny things and they try to make me laugh but as the semester goes on it starts to be things that you wouldn't necessarily think are funny right away but on yeah. reflection that you're like that was actually so funny that that just happened to me and that's kind of like another piece of advice is like your best ideas will come when you've ran out of what you think are your best ideas yeah that, that idea of like you know finding something funny that happens every week like and creating that ability to distort it exaggerate it play yes. in that moment yes is so helpful for sketch comedians for sure yes absolutely because it's like really true that that um life is so funny and it's often the things that are uncomfortable that you're like there's a way to swing that so that it's funny like this kind of like a kind of crappy moment in my life you know <laughs> yeah there's a snowstorm in Newfoundland right now, for example. And someone I love very much is in rehab and texted me and said, you know, there's a really bad snowstorm here right now, but it's really cozy in rehab. I would recommend it to anybody in February. (laughs) And Uh, I was like, that's so awesome. Like thinking about getting into rehab so that you can miss February. (laughs) Cause that's where the hot drinks are. Like (laughs) exactly. They're going to feed me. I don't have to shovel. I'm not allowed out. So like I'm stuck inside. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm the kind of person that like whenever someone dies and there's like a funeral that I have to go to, like I'm texting people during the funeral, like little jokes, try to like, you know, I'm that person where I'm trying to like lighten the mood and like bring it down because when it gets too heavy, I I can't deal. So me too. Me too. I will kind of like, like laugh involuntarily at like inappropriate ceremonies and things like that. And I think it's like finding how how we have a sketch actually that's like about two friends in a moment of silence like you know when it's like we're taking a moment of silence for this like for the army or whatever and one girl like gets so into the sound of the silence that she's like can't stop like dancing (laughs) and her friend is like give me up and she's like i'm not doing anything and then she goes back and she's like like dancing to the and i think like that's a perfect example of using like it's like does anybody else like to groove during the moment of silence (laughs) Uh, and then finally, I mean, even throughout a career of theater, getting, you know, BFA, MFA, and now also like teaching it, why comedy? Why has comedy turned you into one of us sketch dorks? 
Oh, that's such a good question because it's like, it's like one of those things that maybe my answer would be different like any day, but I think it's like everything sucks so much that I just think it's like the experience that I like as an audience member is being made to, is, is when I feel delight and joy and when I laugh. And so I think like it would be against my own values to not also try to make work that's like that. Mm. Um, and I think that I like, like all the people that I've met doing it because they're really smart and they're really sensitive too, um, like to the world around them. And, um, yeah. And I just don't want to do the, she weeps stage direction ever again. <laughs> I want to do, she pies a guy in the face. <laughs> Oh man, but that's gonna get your your Canadian Screen Award. <laughs> oh my god, I gave up on that dream a long time ago. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. Thank you. Allison and the rest of Moms Girls will be heading to Toronto for Toronto Sketch Fest for two shows. First, on Friday, March 10th at 7pm with Birdie, then Saturday, March 11th at 9pm with Boy Girl Party Live. Both of the shows are at Comedy Bar, and tickets are available at torontosketchfest.com. And I understand that those tickets are selling pretty well, so you might not want to wait. You can follow Allison on Instagram at Allison Moira, and Moms Girls on Instagram and TikTok at Moms Girls Comedy. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.